Hi, this is Christy Taylor, and I am sitting, well, I'm not actually sitting with Liz Cook, but I'm going to be interviewing Liz Cook today. Um, I met Liz Cook last year in Denver. Uh, we were both at a training um, offered by Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, who, of course, wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves. And that particular training was um, for the purpose of taking that material and bringing it back to our respective corners uh, in the world and teaching the material to young women, um, the you know, teaching the ways of the wild woman archetype. So in other words, we were both interested in the process of individuation. So I thought maybe, Liz, we could open up with you introducing yourself and a bit of, tell us a bit about yourself. And then I thought maybe you could even speak to why and what drew you to that conference. Great. Wow. Thanks. Um, my name is Liz Cook. My website is Core Awareness. I'm a somatic international educator. I've been focused on the SOAS for about 43 years. I'm an author of the SOAS book, Core Awareness, Maiden Mother Crone, Your Pleasure Playlist, and my new book, uh, Stalking Wild SOAS, Embodying Your Core Intelligence. And I showed up, this was my second time to work with Dr. Estes, and I came there, one, because the group of women and men who are gathered there are extraordinary from around the world, mm-hmm. and so it's a pleasure to be in their sphere and to be in Dr. Estes' power sphere and to understand, um, I particularly came because I was starting to write Stalking the Wild so as. Uh, Stalking Wild Soas is about self-embodiment, and so that idea of core embodiment is actually connecting with a core intelligence within you that you mm-hmm. can access. I knew she understood that from uh, the women who run with the wolves. And I also knew that story becomes very important as a way of actually uh, integrating and assimilating and self-actualizing, that story can be kind of powerful medicine. So I went Mm -hmm. there for that reason as well, to be inspired. Yeah, it was inspiring. Uh, One of the things that really struck me, and even just commenting on what you just said, was the idea of being within that power sphere. And that was palpable. I mean, that was something that I, I kind of think back to every time I'm trying to, you know, fall into my own power just how uh, amazing being in that space was, how encouraging and, you know, being surrounded by the most incredible people from all over the world and how important it is to actually find community like that if we're, you know, talking about work like this. Yeah. Um, I ended up coming back and I'm now currently running um, my first group. Um, you know, 10 months later, I'm putting this, that training to, to work. And um, one of the things that uh, we're focused on at the moment, we've only met for two sessions at this point, but this this concept of bones and, you know, bones in my world is, uh, you know, a symbolic of the indestructible force within us. Um, You work with bones. I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about your work with bones yeah, I'd be happy to. The bones, um, in my work, my work is about this core tissue we call psoas and uh, integrity because the psoas is really uh, 
could be defined as um, a, a tissue that says a lot about our self-efficacy, our self-actualization, our creativity, our full blossoming or flourishing as a human being, really coming into our fullness. Mm-hmm. And people come to me because they have psoas issues. But the psoas isn't a problem. It's a messenger. And one of the things that messages is whether or not we're in our bones, whether we're really authentic, whether we've really landed here on the earth in quite a literal way. So it, it's an interesting tracking because you can track it back to you know, birth. You can track it back to family patterns. You can track it back to disruption in what's called proprioception, which is a, is a neurological signaling that I, uh, of orientation. So mm. the vestibular system in the inner ear tells us about where our head is. Like if our head is in relationship to the gravitational field of horizontal and, and our bones tell us a lot about whether we're actually rooted to the earth or that we really can't get our grounding. We really can't find our, our footing. Mm. And, and so then the psoas starts messaging uh, that, Hey, something's, you know, you're, you're incoherent, you're not safe. And so safety becomes something very internal, not so much about what's happening uh, around us, but it's our relationship, our very personal relationship with the earth itself. Mm. Hmm. When you talk about um, the idea of needing to be in one's bones and feeling grounded and rooted and, you know, um, moving towards self-actualization, um, in the work I'm doing, we frame it as individuation. I think we're probably on the same page with that, right? That the coming home mm-hmm. to self, being in selfhood. Um, so you and I come at the same process um, from different lenses, Maybe that's the way to say it. Maybe you can articulate mm-hmm. that better. But I think that we um, we have such a, I think it for me, because this is such, uh, I'm not familiar with this work. I intuitively know it's important, which is why I've invited you here to train, you know, us and to share your wisdom and knowledge with us. Um, but when I think about the process of individuation and I think about the type of work that we both do, I think there's some really, there's some common, um, approaches that I think we both agree that in order to heal and to move into ourselves, we have to be in a kind of parasympathetic system. Yes. To do that. And so, you know, in my work, that's a lot of slowing down. It's a lot of breathing. It's a lot of getting out of the pace and being, you know, calming the mind, sitting with oneself. Um, maybe you can speak about that a little bit, about, you know, how that overlaps or connects with your work. If it does, I'm assuming it must. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the commonality is this pause that you're bringing in, you know, the sitting yeah. with oneself. Um, you know, in a very physical way, one of the recommendations people will find on my website is constructive rest. Um, it's been a keystone of my work from the beginning because constructive rest is on your back, knees up, feet on the floor. And on a solid surface, doesn't mean it can't be carpet or padded, but, you know, it's something where you can actually feel ground. And being on the ground on a beautiful day, you know, is a is a great way to literally 
ground. But one of the things, construct, I think the name is really interesting, constructive rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was coined by somatic educators, Lulu Schweigard and Mabel Todd in the 1930s. But it's an intuitive position that anybody with low back pain just naturally finds. It's like you just find it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it is, is it's a, it's a centering into the bones. And when you're in constructive rest, your feet are on the ground, your spine is resting on the ground, your head's on the ground, a lot of bones are resting. And the resting on ground, gravity's effect is to release the the psoas, this tissue that is informing us. And the reason why is because you're now grounded, you're located. You actually kind of show up. I know I'm on the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we can't feel that sense of grounding, when you turn towards yourself, you know, what you call sitting with yourself, if you're kind of, I call it turning towards, like, in other words, kind of listening in, mm-hmm. uh, what it shows is that there's a disruption in the autonomic nervous system. So when I personally first started hanging out in constructive rest, I learned, you know, to get partly because I had severe back pain most of my uh, early uh, youth. Um, uh, one of the things I noticed was I wanted to jump up and run out of the room. And it showed up as like, I think the phone rang or somebody's knocking at the door or, and there was mm-hmm. a fear response. And, and then I started to see nobody's knocking. The phone hasn't rang. What is going on? What got me out of this position? So I tried to catch the moment I would jump out of the position. And it became this kind of, fascination with what what am I observing about myself and I knew nothing about trauma or the sympathetic nervous system or I just knew that I was having this response to literally jump out of my skin Mm -hmm. and as I stayed in constructive rest not for the long you know not for hours or something you know for maybe 10-20 minutes each time I would come in I would start to be able to have this this sense of space is the best way I can express it, a pause in which I could actually observe my own nervous system. And as I began to observe my own nervous system, I could see that I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I was I was terrified. And but I kept my eyes softly open, my ears and my sense of the ground. So I started to know what I'm terrified about isn't in this room. It's actually not happening to me right now. Mm-hmm. So then I started to observe that, and as I could observe that, I could actually recognize that something was going on for me that wasn't a response to this moment in time, mm-hmm. but to something I was feeling much deeper in myself that was very unsettled and very unsupported. And that's when I started to learn how to nourish my parasympathetic. That's when I started to be able to simply be with myself. And do nothing but just kind of hold space for me in a mm-hmm. room that I knew I was safe in. You know, I sometimes I'd lock the door as my way to feel that the impulse that someone would run in and jump on me or the dog would come flying through or whatever. Um, even when I had young kids, you know, it was a way to just, okay, just center in on myself that I found very profound and it was all about landing in my bones. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I see a lot of that in my work that, you know, people will come in and this idea of safety, I don't think they, I mean, they don't articulate it necessarily as I don't feel safe, but they often are confronted with it the second that they are asked to sit with themselves, that it becomes too much, that there's, they're picking up on too much or they're, then the, it actually increases the anxiety, you know? So, yeah, uh, I want to say something about that. I'd love to share something about that mm-hmm. because I found the same thing when I was teaching. So I teach somatic work, and I'm I'm teaching people to really sense their their kinesthetic sensory system, mm-hmm. and and the kinesthetic sensory is your 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 knowing. You know something. Mm-hmm. So you know, in in my world, the body never lies. Even if you don't know the story, you don't um, you know you don't have a you don't have a story to tell. You don't have even imagery, but you have a sensory system that never lies, mm-hmm. and it's never wrong. It's, it's that's that's the knowing piece. Very different than what I think happened, or what people have told me happened, or what I think mm-hmm. is going on. It's about that gut knowing, and that's mm-hmm. how it's work. And when I would teach people to begin to really about halfway through my workshop. Years ago, I recognized that people were uncomfortable in that they started getting um, distracted, they started getting bored, they started um, complaining, they, and, and, and it was subtle things, but I started thinking, oh gosh, I'm not doing enough, I'm not entertaining them well enough, I'm not, um, like, what should I do to make them more comfortable? And then I, all of a sudden, I had this knowing, and the knowing was, Oh my God, they're in their core. Mm. They've arrived. They've landed. And the mm-hmm. reason they left is because it's not comfortable. It's not. And so yeah. there's all these other ways of distracting that try to remove that uncomfortability. And sometimes mm-hmm. the uncomfortability is the unfamiliar. It's not necessarily negative. It's just, I. Yeah, I think there's a difference between the two of the non, you know, familiar and the one of like primal kind of I don't feel safe here. Yes. Mm-hmm. At least that's what and I sometimes it can witness. just be like, well, what am I doing here? Like people will say, you know, I'm in constructive rest and, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. And, you know, I don't know why, you know, I'm doing this and what's the purpose and. Um, you know, and it's like, yes, I give them, you know, validation of value. So there has mm-hmm. to be a story there, right? A story that creates value of why would you spend 10 minutes of your busy day in constructive rest, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. You know, and so I, 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 I weave that story in that, you know, this brings your whole system into a parasympathetic parasympathetic state, which is wonderful to do at the end of your day uh, before you have dinner and enjoy the evening. It Mm -hmm. can be a transitional period, but it's also a time to really just be, to not be doing, but to be. And one of the things psoas and bones in particular are about is being. They're Mm -hmm. not about doing. They're all about your beingness. And when you're in your bones, that's all. <laughs> that's all you're doing is your yeah, being. You're, yeah, the you're being. I've, I've being. used that line actually with clients. The doing is the being. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if you really need to make it into doing, fine, you're doing, but you're being in your doing. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. Um, one of the topics that's coming up in our one of our next sessions is this idea of intuition. 
Mm-hmm. And I, my question for you about intuition really didn't go too deep other than the fact that, you know, we talk about our gut instincts, right? That's how we kind of connect to this idea of our intuitive space, our intuitive knowing. And you brought it up earlier uh, today that SOAS is all about that. Yes. Maybe you can talk a bit more about that whole concept of intuition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's different there's different ways of looking at it. On a, on a embryological level, you know, your psoas literally emerges out of your spine, out of your midline. And in embryology, when we when the cell divides and and you are on your journey to become you, there, there's a uh, there's a, a what they call uh, the primitive um, tube or even before the primitive tube, there's a space that starts to show up and the cells organize around it and it's an axis. It's a so they line up and it's the top of your head to the tip of your tail. It's the spine that will become the the norticord and the spine that we know of as thinking of it. So it's literally the center of your body. So your psoas is literally emerging out of the center of your body and it mm-hmm. and it grows into your legs so legs are about you know moving forward and expressing and and manifesting and showing up and standing our ground and so one of the one of the intuitive pieces of the psoas that I tell people is that to stop thinking of it as a muscle but think of it as, as a an organ of perception and a messenger from your bio-intelligence. So what what allowed you to come into being is an intelligence that you have direct access to. And that's what I think of as your gut response or your intuition. Now, gut response, people can have all kinds of gut response because the, that primitive tube is the gut, mouth to anus. And it's it's enfolded into this, it actually shows up embryologically and then is enfolded into the midline and or this axis, this axis that is you. And so even though you grew in your mother's womb, she has her own axis, you have your own axis, and the earth has its own axis. And so what's true north for you is literally within you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, the, the health of your knowing is a kinesthetic experience. It's a gut health experience. So when your gut is not, I'm really uh, focused on this right now because I've been spending time at home um, and I've been cooking and I've been watching how food makes me feel after Mm -hmm. I'm digesting it. Mm -hmm. And I'm noticing how my sympathetic or parasympathetic is triggered by what I eat. So, you know, very practical things about a developing good knowing can come from being very aware of your own sensory system. This deep sensory system we call proprioception. And proprioception, I just want to define, is an internal knowing that is connected to the earth. It's not about social dynamics. It's not about what's going on. It's about you literally being an elemental being. And it's it's very much within you, and it's how you understand the other information that comes in through your eyes, your nose, your ears, your mouth, your taste. It's it's how you actually know 
that material as being important to you. Mm-hmm. So, so when I think of knowing, I think of it very much of an earth-based sensory kinesthetic intelligence. And, you know, we focus on mental intelligence mm-hmm. uh, in the society as being knowing certain things in intellectually, learning to read and write and math and all the things that we think are important. And emotional intelligence is kind of secondary, and you're someone who is honing the emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I'm honing the sensory or kinesthetic knowing mm-hmm. and intelligence. Yeah, one of the questions I was going to ask is, you know, from your lens, how you view the kind of, well, actually, let me back up. Um, we spoke once in the past about this concept of mind, body, spirit. Right. And how you were saying we need to stop compartmentalizing those three things. Yes. Maybe you want to talk a bit about that. Yeah, my new book, uh, Stalking Wild Sowers, um, the byline I wanted originally was, you know, changing the language of body from object to process. So as mm-hmm. long as we believe in the mechanistic version of life, there is no soul. There is no center of being. So in the physicality of our body, there in in anatomy and things like that, when and so most of allopathic medicine, there is no emotions and there is no uh, there is no center of being. Mm-hmm. In embryology, though, which is science, there is. But the story that we're told is a mechanistic one of object. I take my body to the doctor. I take, you know, my body is bothering me, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, there's the emotions. And I always say, well, where are the emotions, you know? And they well, they're in the brain or, you know, maybe they're in the heart, you know. And in Chinese medicine, of course, they're in the organs um, as as they're in all tissue. So so changing and looking at ourselves as a living process is more like you're starting to talk about biodynamic concepts that are more related to uh, the living earth. So thinking of our spine as a river means that, you know, restorative, there's restorative gestures that can improve health and literally grow a better spine that when people ask me the question do I think I can change this I look at them and realize they're under the spell of the mechanistic body because cells are constantly dying and and recreating themselves and you are an ebb and a flow so it's inevitable that you will change Mm-hmm. It depends how you want to change, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but but change is inevitable. So so we're under a spell that we're an object, and that's why people can take their body and somebody can suggest that you know they get spinal you know, surgery or whatever for their pain, and then they're they're totally surprised that they come out with as much pain as they had going in. It might be different yeah. pain. But, you know, but it's the same pain because they really haven't, they haven't explored themselves as a, as a, a system that actually can uh, restore itself and, and the restorative process and what is invested in that. And that's part of our disconnect from the earth. Yeah, because, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, it's a process, it's a process, but to then shift that a bit to say you are the process, we are a process. Yes, we is are a, really- a process. 
We yeah, are always. So oh. I look at I look at posture, for example, not as a static event. Do you have good posture? Do you have bad posture? I look at it as expression. The or <laughs> the organism, so to speak, is has an expression. It's like the caterpillar. If you poke it, it will curl. So the person who's kind of comes in curled up on themselves is in a process. Mm-hmm. They are returning. Mm-hmm. They are returning to themselves. They are, they are, and that's a good thing. There, there, there is collapse. You know, the person who comes home from work after a hard day, kicks open a beer, you know, gets on the couch and turns on the TV is not in a process. It's mm-hmm. in collapse. I mean, it is a process, but it's collapse. It's the same sympathetic response. They're disassociating. Yeah. But the person who's literally curled over on themselves. Uh, so what I always recommend for people is that if you're feeling that, rather than try to pull the other way, is is actually consciously work with your intelligence, your your biological intelligence. So hang over a fitness ball, curl into child's pose, uh, be in bed and, and curl into a fetal seat and rest and light, lightly rock there. And I work with sound a little bit. And what I notice, like a long exhale of a SH, like a shh sound, very long. And what people will notice is that when they unravel out of that, they feel more of their core and they feel more connected to that knowing and that intuition and their sense of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of just what we are fed, you know, um, by the overculture and fed by what it means to like really work the body and you, I, you know, people who kind of almost the way they think they're taking care of their bodies are in such punishing, it seems to me anyway, punishing ways. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't teach this idea of, you know, you can go into um, that state of restorative, you know, posture or restorative, you called it restorative or constructive Yes, rest no, yes, and be doing yes. just much good, maybe more good for our bodies. Mm-hmm. Well, it, at different, yes, and and so because the speed of life is is a sympathetic culture is a sympathetic response. Yeah, it's, it's acting as if the, everybody's being chased by the tiger. You know, we're mm-hmm. running places, we're not eating, we eat on the run. You know, those are all sympathetic because when you're in sympathetic response, you don't eat. You know, and so then when people do eat, they're basically tr- trying to quell what emotionally they're feeling, right? It's just, well, they you know, certainly don't try. digest. Yeah, there's no digestion. And they don't digest because you can only digest and repair in the yeah. sympathetic state. So at, even at night, you know, so so when people have chronic issues, some of what we have to look at is the, that there's not enough parasympathetic. And what I tell people is when they come in wanting to release their psoas, to get rid of this problem, to solve this problem, I, I try to explain that if you got rid of all your trauma, who would you be? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you actually have to nourish the system because it knows how to handle trauma. Your organism, the, the wild... Uh, animal the wild woman the 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 wild kingdom knows you know trauma is an is is a response that's appropriate it's that we don't allow ourselves to go through the restorative phase that brings resolution Mm -hmm. you know and and so then it goes on and on and 
potentially gets, you know, worse and worse, but it becomes a chronic or repetitive pattern instead of an actual, you know, like I look at literally wild animals and how they respond to going down to the water hole and getting grabbed and almost eaten. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and they get out and they go and they, you know, shake and they, you know, lick themselves all over and they, you know, sleep deeply and they, you know, and they're at the water hole the next day. Yeah. And they're not going, I'm not going back to that water hole. You know what happened to me in that water hole? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, so, so actually thriving, what I think of as thriving, not just surviving, but thriving is about nourishing the parasympathetic and, and that's about the beingness that we're talking about. That's a parasympathetic yeah. state. Yeah. I'm going to go in a different, it's all connected, but a bit of a different direction. I want to ask you about this concept of creativity. Um, I received a card uh, yesterday from someone and on the cover it said creativity springs from the yearning to be the fullness of who you are. Mm. Nice. It made me think of you. It made me think of your work. Um, you talk a lot about yearning and longing yes. with respect to the psoas. I don't think we've touched on it yet. No. So what the partner, from a tissue point of view, you know, psoas is deep in your core. It's kind of a part of the what you could call the sacred geometry, okay? It's a triangular tissue going from the spine to each leg. You have one on each side, very deep in the core, very subtle. When, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people go, I can't sense myself. I said, I think that's a great thing. You don't go around sensing your organs unless something's wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you start going, God, something's wrong in my kidneys or, you know, my bladder's hurt, you know? That's how so is. So is like a cloud. You know, it's very elusive. So when people are coming to me saying, I know where my psoas is, I know that their psoas is compensating for something and doing a job that's not its job to do. And so it's changing the nature of psoas. Well, the iliacus is tissue that is in that sacred geometry, goes up in a triangular area from the pelvis or core up to the arms and about expression and about reaching and longing and it's very superficial and it's about how I interact with the world and Mm. so I've been playing with not these as muscles or as tissue that's a physical movement but as expressions and what I started to notice was that people had lost their deep sense of longing they had shut it off cut it off they had been so disappointed or so rejected or whatever that it was safer to just not want anything. And that can be on every level of your physicality from your gut philia to, you know, the rooting of the mouth of enjoying a strawberry. I mean, you know, like it, it can be tracked back to, you know, your first impressions of being here on earth. Uh, and so with that said, the expression of longing is what I would say a flower does when it fully blossoms Mm. or, uh, you know, a a tree as its branches are reaching for the sun. So the river that flows always has the impulse to go to the ocean. You know, those are in, those are our longings to become who we are, to fulfill our destiny, to, Mm. to really show up in this world. 
And without that, our creativity is stunted. So create, you could look at it as the key to both of those is curiosity. Mm-hmm. And when we're in a sympathetic state, there is no curiosity. You know, no. you're, you're, a, a, you're in survival. Has a, you're, but it's a really important thing. You, you know, when mm-hmm. you're standing yeah. there on the street and a car comes around the corner fast and you're about to step out and you jump back and you don't even, you didn't even think know the it. car was there. Think about yeah. it. You know, you're glad yeah. you're not standing there longing, you know, in that moment. I mean, you know, like, it's like a sympathetic state is a good, you know, you yeah. get out of there, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's not how to live a life of quality, no. No. right? And so the parasympathetic is that place where curiosity starts to show up, where that beingness all of a sudden takes you somewhere you had no idea you could even go or that it was a place. It was a possibility. And you you find these little riverlets like an ocean going, you know, like a river going to the ocean that is so juicy and so intriguing. And, and out of that comes this sense of longing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear about it. Um this lots of people will say, you know, that they feel their creativity is blocked. It's the language they use. It's blocked or that they're cut off from it. It's and stunted. Yeah. Stunted. Um, yeah. Does the word, does that language kind of rel- like relate to this idea of being blocked? Yeah. We had this conversation with the upper psoas. The upper psoas to me is a really intriguing area. The psoas has two nerve innervations. And so there's the lower psoas, which often expresses a lot of the sexuality, grounding, finding my footing. But the upper psoas has a lot to do with this creativity and really showing up uniquely as you. Okay, like you have your own fingerprint. We are a snowflake. You know, we really are a unique, we have our own axis. Like and expression, yeah, unique Yeah, expression. the expression is uniquely you, mm-hmm. right? And, and so to access that, you know, there's no one on the face of the earth that's you. You know, you're truly unique. So how do we self-actualize? Well, the upper psoas is is the kidneys float on the upper psoas, so the adrenals float. So a lush, juicy psoas is important. It's actually the filet mignon in an animal. It's the cut of meat that meat eaters eat that is uh, tenderloin because it's the juiciest meat. If you're a vegetarian, think of your psoas as juicy cucumbers. Um it's a metaphor, but um, uh, whereas we literally are the filet mignon. So, so this, this juiciness is about our, you know, how we express ourselves, how we show up, how we play, how we uh, create, what we create, and, and how we interact with the world and, and, and each other and, and literally manifest. So what happens with a young child who uh, life is... Uh, it gets the message that they're not okay, that who who they're showing up to be is not acceptable or is not wanted or or there's a fear response there that gives them primal cues that they're not safe. These are primal responses that I work with, and they're 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 very important for survival. But then as an adult. Um, you're still got that going on and it's stifling and it shuts you down. And literally what it's doing is you're engaging the psoas to stop all that 
feeling, uh, that sensitivity, that awareness, and cutting off from our gut instincts. Yeah, our wild instincts. Our wild instincts. Yeah. That's right. You know, don't behave that way. Sit down. Pay attention. Yeah, the idea of this over-domestication, you know. Um, yes. What we got are it. Yeah. What we That's are where it takes place. And what it does is it shifts the diaphragm slightly forward. It cuts off the blood circulation a tiny bit. So it decreases your uh, sensory system mm-hmm. because you're getting less oxygen and less blood. You're playing dead in a certain way. And what ends up happening is you have less emotions. But then you also have less creativity. Yeah, I hear that too. You know, I feel dead inside. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So my work is not an to reawaken to reawaken that. That's a yeah. biological. You know, it's emotional. But what's beautiful about our the segue here is this this ability to flow back and forth is an integration. Yeah. So, for example, you know that there's beautiful simple uh, movements that I work with that are very primal in the sense that they're very simple, like curling and unfolding. Okay, so like a leaf curls in and a leaf unfolds. I mean, it's as simple as that. And when we play with these and we understand that they have meaning, so we're not like, what are we doing on the floor, curling in and curling out? Like, you know, but we're curious about, well, what does this do? All of a sudden, we the our we wake up uh, the sensory system and we hear the wind and we taste you know the tea we're drinking and we smell you know mm. the you know the coconut oil someone's wearing and mm-hmm. you know and we're like opening up we're becoming mm-hmm. what I call porous mm. and then we're recognizing we can start accessing that longing again yeah. Um, I hear you say uh, the word play a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. Life is the game that must be played. Yeah. <laughs> but there's an element of play, I think, the freedom of play, like how play allows us and how, you know, we've been cut off as adults. I don't know how many adults are in touch with their longing to play. Yeah. And yeah. How- actually, I hear it a lot. I hear a lot that people in my classes go, I don't know how to play. Yeah, it's very, um, yeah. They don't even say, I forgot how to play. Yeah, it no longer feels intuitive to them. It feels like something that they have been, like, really fundamentally cut off from. Yeah. Um, So one of the things I I recommend doing is is actually, um, and, and you suggested this with the project you gave a client with the collage. Oh, yeah. Remember you told me that's a little brief part, just a smid, smidget of that story of how, and I said, oh my God, that's a fabulous idea. Well, you know, having a place where you have some toys, whether it's, you know, like for me, I have some, at this time of year, I take out all my garden books that are my very favorite, which otherwise I don't have. I only have favorite things. And, and, and mostly because I love the pictures in them. And I don't do it to read. I do it to inspire. Or I have a swing. Uh, I have a, a long swing from a, uh, elm, uh, an oak tree, huge oak tree in my yard. And I have a, one of those long swings. And it's uh, in my yard, and I walk by it, and it calls to me. Yeah. 
Wow. And I don't, and part of me, I hear this voice that goes, you don't have time for that. And then I realized that's the conditioning. Mm. And I turn towards and I let the swing take me. Yeah. And I play. You know, yeah. and it can be toys. I, I work with balls a lot and, and people love playing with them because it, it wakes up the child again. You know, get a, get one of those fitness balls. Somebody, pretty much everybody has one in some back closets in the garage or basement, um, from fitness days. Um, those big ones, the big balls, the colorful balls and, or go to Target and get one and, and just Put your body, curl your body over it so you're folding over it and just hang out there and rock mm. and and just let that be play. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm so excited that you're coming here. Um, you'll be here. I on am. April. I'm coming April. to Winnipeg. Winnipeg, yeah. <laughs> very excited. We're very lucky. I've never been to Winnipeg, Canada. Okay. Yeah. Um, you'll be here on the 27th and 28th. I wondered if you want to just briefly speak about what people can expect if they choose to sign up for your workshop. Um, a lot of fun, a lot yeah. of play, a lot of, um, a lot of grounding, and a lot of getting in your bones. Mm. I'm going to teach you things like bone tapping that helps you get a vibration because bone is where blood is made. Mm. It's where our ancestral connection to ground and earth is our animal is in the bones and like that wonderful story dr estes la loba Loba. it's the calling with the the workshop we went to was singing what was it Mm -hmm. singing down the bones singing over them singing over singing over the bones yes so yeah so i i i work with getting us in our bones because once you start to show up in your bones, just like that story, there's a kind of the skin starts to, you know, the, the body starts to reappear and yeah, the eyes out. begin to get wild with enthusiasm and enjoyment and play. And so we start to really show up in ourselves and we get these ideas that like, wow, this is what I need or this is what I want or this is what I long for. So it's about embodiment. Yeah. Okay. If they have any questions, is there a You can find me on coreawareness.com. Yeah, you can certainly talk to you if you know Christy. If you're listening to this, go to www.core c o r e awareness a w a r e n e s s dot com, and go to the workshop page. You'll find it under the international workshops, the Winnipeg, Canada workshop, and sign up and come play. Okay. Well, I again am so excited.